Hey, I have one word about the worship at BlackRock. It's wow. I mean, that's incredible. Honestly. Not too long ago, I was on stage with Hillsong as they sang, what a powerful name, and I'm going to take your worship team above them, and that's a big deal. Incredible. Well, I also love BlackRock. This is my second time. I did a parenting conference last year, and then I did a parenting conference uh, yesterday morning and a marriage conference yesterday afternoon. So the people who came now have perfect uh, families and perfect marriages, okay? So there you go. You missed it. Um, I want to give you a, a phrase as I begin. And it's actually the phrase of, of why we're going to talk this morning on what we're going to talk about. And uh, you could leave after this in some ways because if you get this, it's it right here. The happiest and most fulfilled people, the happiest and most fulfilled families, don't have any less problems than anybody else. But they tend to be more thankful. Okay? That's what we're going to talk about. Let me tell you how I learned that. A couple of years ago, I was going through a tough time. I'm really an up guy. I'm kind of positive. I have optimism in my life and whatnot. And so I'm not prone to depression, but man, I was going through a tough time. And it was a bunch of things together. It wasn't one main thing. My mother died, so that was huge. She was the most influential person in my life besides my wife, Kathy. And uh, she died younger than we had hoped, cancer. My three brothers went through a divorce in nine months. That wasn't uh, a happy mark in our family. Um, alcoholism is prevalent in our family, and that was partly the problem. The ministry that I'm a part of is called Homeward. We're the largest provider of parenting seminars in the United States. We reach out to about a million people a day through podcasts and through other things. And um, that ministry was, was not fading, but it was struggling financially. And so the president, me, was struggling with some of the finance story. And so I just, I just was down. Um, Kathy's in my marriage. We've been married 42 years, 117 days, but who's counting? I think she is, actually. Um, and the marriage was not horrible by any means, but we were in a stale time. I mentioned to the people yesterday that we're almost proud of it, but we have a high-maintenance marriage. We came from dysfunctional families. We put the two of us together, and a sinner married another sinner, and then you had sinnerlings, you know, running around, and, you know, it hasn't always been easy, and so that time in the season was stale. So, I was kind of moping around the house and did find it other places. That's always fascinating because I was looking for some joy, but what I really had was I could get up in front of people, I could tell a joke, I could, you know, watch a movie and laugh at it and whatnot, but mainly around the house, kind of moping, and Kathy said, you need to go talk to somebody, <laughs> like now. And so I called my youth pastor. Interesting that we go back all that way, and I had become a Christian when I was 16. I wasn't raised in the church. And John Watson is one of the more influential people in my life. And he lives in San Diego, and I live in Orange County. And so we met partway. And I just kind of unloaded on him, and he, as I've done many times. It's incredibly uh, brilliant. And he listened, and I said, you know, my mom, and I went through our ministry stuff, and my brothers, and, you know, Kathy and me. And then I said, you know, give me some feedback here, John. And he said, I've got the answer for you. Well, no counselor ever says, I have the answer. He's a pastor. So some pastors think they have the answer. But uh, my wife always says, she says, you always say, in my humble opinion. And she goes, and in your humble opinion, you always think you're right. So, you know, that's another thing. So I said, give me some of your feedback. And, and he, he gave me a verse. He said, Look, do you have a napkin? He said, write this down. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. He said, do you know that scripture? And I said, no, I'm sure I've read it, but no. And he said, well, that's your answer. And they said, you know what, sorry, but I gotta go. And uh, so he picked up the, the check, which was nice. He bought me lunch and he took off and I was just stunned. I went, he gave me no input. He gave me some scripture. 
Even if I had a headache, and I said to you, I have a headache, and if you said to me, well, read John 3.16, it's going to make your headache go away, I'd, I'd rather have you give me Advil. I mean, I believe that the Word of God, you know, can do all kinds of things, but I don't always think it cures headaches or whatever, and 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, 18 must have been great, but, you know, I was looking for something else. So I put it in my pocket, I went back to work, came home that night, and Kathy almost greeted me at the door like, how was your time with John? I said, well, <laughs> it was a little frustrating. I said, it's always great to be with him, but he just gave me some verse, and then he took off. And she said, well, that doesn't sound like John. And I, I said, well, it, it's not. I don't, I don't know. She said, well, what did the verse say? So I, I never looked at it. And she kind of gave me that wife look, like, seriously. This is like a mentor in your life, and you didn't, give him, you didn't even read the scripture. So I pulled out the napkin. It was still in my pocket. And she said, you want me to read it to you? And I said, well, sure. So she goes and finds a Bible, and she picks out 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18, and she began to read it to me. It's going to appear actually here. And it says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus Give thanks in all circumstances. I stopped, and I just said, seriously, I'm supposed to thank God for my mother's death? Am I supposed to thank God for what my brothers are going through? Am I supposed to thank God for all this stuff? I mean, I'm not sure he got the right scripture. Then she said, well, you're not going to like the next one then. And it says, pray constantly or pray continually. See, it'll come up some other time. Pray constantly or pray continually. That's verse 17. And I said, well, I, you know, I pray. I wasn't being defensive, but I just said, you know, I do pray. I mean, it's not, I prayed about this stuff. I mean, but again, I, I need a little something more. And she goes, well, you're not going to like the next one. It says, in everything you do, give thanks, for this is God's will for you. And I started to kind of smile. I went, oh, in everything. So again, I'm supposed to thank God for my mom's death. I'm supposed to thank God. I mean, what, what are they talking about here? And yet it says, for this is God's will for you. And fascinating enough, you know that the Bible is filled with God's will. The Bible is God's will for us. It's his word for us. I believe that with all of my heart. But do you know that very few times in the scripture does it say, this is God's will for you. So think of it in neon signs, and this was a neon sign for me, but I didn't accept it that night. And I went, oh, so I guess I'm just supposed to thank God and everything's going to be fine. I said, well, I guess the scripture didn't help you that much. <laughs> and I didn't say anything, but she closed the Bible. We went back to doing what we were doing. And the next morning... I opened up my Bible because I, I read through the one-year Bible. I've been doing it for, since 1983. And actually, I read it every year, not just taking the whole since 1983 to read it through. And I opened up my Bible, and guess what it was? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. And this time I read it with a different heart. It said, rejoice in the Lord always, my version said. Be full of joy. Pray constantly or pray continually. In everything you do, give thanks, for this is God's will for you. And so what I did was I wrote in my journal, I could still show it to you today, I wrote, my goal is joy. Now there's a difference between joy and happiness. Joy is deep-rooted. Happiness is creme brulee for me. Um, happiness is, you know, a donut. I mean, happiness is great coffee. Happiness is a good conversation. I can have happiness in the midst of kind of being down, but not deep-rooted joy. And so I wrote, my goal is joy. And then I, I wrote, and I'm not one to who's into little formulas out of the Bible. I don't think the Bible's filled with cutesy little formulas, but I wrote prayer, pray continually, with thanksgiving, everything give thanks, equals joy. And so I went about a time in my life, and I'm, this is more, much more personal of a, of a message than sometimes, but I went personally looking at people who were filled with joy. And, you know, I found people who had money, and I have people, found people who didn't have money. I found people who... Uh, were every color of the rainbow. I found people who were old and young. And 
I'm unhappy to say that the answer wasn't so easy because it wasn't about circumstances. You see, what I said at the beginning, what I found was they had as many problems as anybody else. It was just that they had an attitude of thankfulness that kind of switched it. And I kept finding person after person after person. So I decided I would go on that quest. And so I wrote down again, my goal is joy. And I, I found in the scripture that over 500 times in the command form of the verb to be filled with joy, I found that Christians are to be people of joy. We should remind our faces of that and sometimes our attitudes of that. Right? And so I found a scripture. It's a scripture that many of you know. And I actually said it this morning when I woke up because it's in my head. But it says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And so there are days when I'm not feeling so good in the morning um, in terms of you know, attitude or life or whatever. And I have to go, no, this is the day. I'm going to acknowledge that today is God's day. And I will, an act of the will, I will rejoice. So this is not a mind over matter thing. It's simply that as an act of the will, I'm going to choose joy instead of choose many of the other emotions or feelings that I could choose. And then I, I realized, well, it, it does come through prayer. And in fact, the Bible says in Philippians 4, uh, 6 and 7, it says, pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. But pray with thanksgiving and your request will be made known unto God. And then the result is, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will rule in your heart. So this is a different version, but it says, put it into practice and the peace of God will be with you. And so what I did, I did was I went, I need to be more focused on prayer, but not as some kind of a drudge it up, but it, it all of a sudden reminded me of something that had happened to me actually a couple of years before, and it was really helping me but I wasn't focused on it as well as I could be. It was a time when I was in my bedroom and I was doing my devotions, and I wish I could say I did my devotions you know, at every hour um, for a long, long time, and I, I would sometimes just kind of pass through them. Um, somebody once said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy, and I might have been saying, doing what I was doing on that. So I said, God, I want to give you two hours. I have, Billy Graham gave God two hours, and I'm a fan of Billy Graham um, a day, and uh, then a Korean guy in seminary that I knew gave God 10% of his day, and he seemed to be doing well, so I went, if they can do it, I can do it. And then I thought, no, God, I'm going to disappoint myself one more time because I'm not going to disappoint you if I don't do two hours. But, so I, I said one hour. And then I thought, you know what, I'm not going to do one hour. I have way too much adult ADD in me. So I said 30 minutes. It still didn't fit, so I said 20. And I made a vow that I would spend 20 minutes a day with God. And I have missed days. But what I think has happened is the anointing of God in my life with my ministry, with my relationship with Kathy and with my kids especially, comes oftentimes out of that prayer time that you know nothing about, see, or that anybody else knows nothing about. And so a lot of times what we do behind closed scenes is actually then who we become. And I would say that since I've been thinking about this Thanksgiving thing and becoming a more effective Christ follower, who has thanksgiving, that my joy has come partly through prayer, and I'm not a huge prayer warrior. I wish I could say I was more, but it's about 20 minutes. But where I want to go today is what I learned about thanksgiving, because I think it applies to all of us, and it's, I think, appropriate that this is the season, but this isn't just a, this isn't a thanksgiving day message. This is something that, for me, is rooted much more in the depth of my heart and joy. And thankfulness... I found was more or less a key that could unlock even depressive emotions. So I want to study two different people, people who grumble and complain and people who don't grumble and complain, who are thankful and grateful. In fact, I want you to walk up here right now. Just not yet, but do it in your mind. 
And there's a piece of paper here that covers that whole thing, and it says, thankful, grateful people on this side, and on this side it says, grumblers and complainers. Now, you walk up here and make a mark where you are. Now, this is an oversimplification, but if you are a grumbler and a complainer, you are probably not as happy, and you definitely don't have as much joy as the people who are thankful, grateful. But if you all stood up here and we talked afterwards, was talking about coffee, we'd have the same kind of problems. That's what's remarkable. So what I found was that thankfulness was key and not always easy, a simple message, but not always an easy message. So it says, as I studied this, in everything you do, give thanks, for this is God's will for you. Wow, God's will for me. Say, so what about a divorce? Or what about a broken family? What about uh, financial problems? What about uh, in-laws? <laughs> what about, and you just keep playing the what about game. And yet what I learned is that thankfulness is an attitude. And I want to say it this way. Thankfulness is an attitude which transcends circumstances. I don't know what your circumstance is. I'm not even sure I can help you with your circumstance. But I know this, that your circumstance may not change, but your attitude can change, and that makes all the difference in the world. It's worth being reminded of over and over again. Thankfulness. For me, how I learned it was... I'm looking at this scripture. I'm trying to be a person of joy. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to put some time into prayer. I'm also trying to be a person who's more on the thankful end of the you know, little continuum there than the grumbler and complainer. All of a sudden, I realized, you know, it doesn't say be thankful for. Because I was having trouble being thankful for my mom dying, problems in our family, etc. It says in. And all of a sudden, that made all the difference in the world. Because a lot of us as Christians think we have to be thankful for all this bad stuff that comes our way. Bad stuff comes our way. And we don't necessarily have to be thankful for it, but we can be thankful in it, and that makes all the difference in the world. And when I say in it, I can be thankful in my mom's death. Because in my mom's death, she's now with Jesus. She became a Christian. She's with Jesus. She's in heaven. Her pain is gone. I can be thankful in the ministries, uh, even our financial problems a, a while back, because what it did was it focused our board and it focused me on getting on our knees and saying, God, where, where are we focused? What can we do? What are you showing us in this? And the list goes on and on and on, even in my marriage. I can be thankful that in stale times comes intimacy when you work on it. And so you can be thankful in there. I read this in a you know, silly little magazine, but a little kid said, yesterday I was riding home on the bus and the kid behind me got sick all over the back of my neck. But I just said, thank you, Jesus. I'm not sure that's what I would say at this point. Okay? And then this morning, I mistook my dad's Ben Gay ointment for toothpaste. But I just swallowed hard and said, praise God. Now, again, I think I wouldn't say those words. But what, that's bad theology but the thing is, is that we sometimes think we're supposed to do that when bad things come over. No, be thankful in. And, and it's, it's, frankly, it's a testimony for me. It's changed my life. I have friends who are just out, down there in North Carolina. They have right outside their bedroom a sign that says, I complained because I had no shoes until I met a man who, who had no feet. I mean, I complain about finances, but what I'm wearing, not that I'm the dress for success guy, although I am a little dressed up today because I, I didn't bring an extra, I, you know, I, I noticed that Jeremy went from a t uh, suit and tie in the first service to, you know, Levi's, and I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable, you know, dressed like this, but there you go. Um, but, you know, my, what I'm wearing is more than what people make in Rwanda in a year. What I'm wearing is more than what people make in Cuba in a year. Our ministry does a great work in Cuba. 
they make $16 a month. And if you're a physician, you make 18. So the point that I'm saying is that, you know, we complain, but we always complain, you know, up instead of, you know, down, so to speak. So sometimes grumbling and complaining rips us of our joy. There was a man named Terry Fox. He was a marathon runner. He had cancer. He was a Canadian. And he decided to run from the east coast of Canada to the west coast of Canada. And I'm pretty impressed with that. He ran a marathon every day, six days a week, seventh day he rested. And the news would be in front of him because what was, he was doing was raising money for the Canadian Cancer Society. And in fact, he raised 38 million Canadian dollars. Pretty amazing. And every day, he, this guy would come running in and they, they would be there with cameras, and I'm sure the Canadian you know, Cancer Society had this set up, sweat, and they would say, Terry, how are you doing? And at that point, they would also zero in on his leg because he only had what he called one leg, and then he had his, what he called his plastic leg. You might have seen the movie. Maybe you've read his book. But it was the fact that he had cancer. It was cut here, and then it was cut here, and then it was kind of cut way up, and so he was on a, his fake leg, he called it. And this guy was running a marathon like that. He had to be in pain. You'd see sometimes even blood oozing down. And, and these people would say, how are you doing, Terry? And he would kind of smile. He was tired. And he would say, I don't know about tomorrow, but I know about today. And he'd look in the camera and he'd say, and I'm, God, I'm glad God gave me today. I'm going to live one day at a time. I'm not even sure he knew he was quoting scripture. But Terry, at 2,200 miles, figure that out in kilometers in Canada. Uh, he was rushed back to Vancouver, British Columbia because he, the cancer came back. And next time I saw him, he was in the hospital. Television was showing this. And he had just received the highest medal of honor of a Canadian citizen outside of the military. And now he has no hair on his body because of chemo and radiation and his lips are purple. And they said, how are you doing, Terry? And in a very weak voice, he said, I don't know about you know, tomorrow, but I know about today. And then he kind of smiled and he said, and I'm God, glad God gave me today. And I just was stunned. Three days later, he died. But I'm convinced that in his 20-something years, he lived more than some who are in their 80s because of his attitude. His circumstance didn't change. But his attitude did change. And that made all the difference in the world. And so in reality, thankfulness is an attitude. And when we think of thankfulness being an attitude, it's important for us to understand that we have control over some of our attitudes. I don't think you can do it on your own, and I don't think you can do it with just quote-unquote positive thinking, but I think what we have is the, the, the Lord of Lords who can help us affect our attitude, and that affects not only how we work, how we live, but it affects our families, it affects marriages, it affects our children. In fact, I find that children who have parents who have a better attitude actually thrive and feel more secure in their life. In fact, the scripture says that the man or woman of integrity walks securely. And I'm convinced that the man or woman of integrity who walks securely will have kids who will walk securely. So thankfulness is an attitude. But also, we've got to make thankfulness and make the spiritual discipline of thankfulness a habit. You know, we don't talk enough about habits. In fact, if you are old, then in the church, you might have heard people always say, you know, don't dance and chew and go with girls who do or whatever it is. And, um, you know, so it was always the church is a bunch of no's, but the church is a bunch of yeses. But part of it is positive habits. We talk about negative habits all the time, but what about the positive habits? And so there is a positive habit. It would be to practice the spiritual discipline of, of, of thankfulness. You know what I do? I practice something that I made up. I call it thank therapy. I write down 20 reasons why I'm happy or why I'm thankful. In fact, I did it this morning, and I wrote Black Rock Church. Man, I love, I mean, I have a crush on this church right now. Okay? 
BlackRock leadership. You have amazing leadership. Yeah. You should. I even wrote down Tim Blow because the guy was a star. Is he here? Oh, there he is. I mean, he did a great job with this conference yesterday. But then I wrote my wife. I wrote my kids. I mean, it was just basic stuff. You wouldn't be all that excited about it. But what I find is that when I practice thank therapy, it helps me focus. I was speaking to our high school group a while back at our church, and I was working on this. And so I said, hey, I want you to write down 20 reasons why you're thankful. And they all kind of groaned. And then I said, and donuts are afterwards. And they're like, oh, okay. You know, so they start writing them down. I said, let's just take a moment and let's share. And so, you know, one kid says, Jesus Christ. Uh, another one, we live at the beach, Dana Point, California, the beach. Another one said, parents. I said, have you ever told your parents you were thankful? And they're like, no, well, then go do that, okay? Um, USA, United States, health. These are things they hadn't been thinking about. And then one girl, Lisa, a little bit awkward, ninth grade, and uh, she stands up and she has these big kind of thick glasses and she takes off her glasses. She said, I've hated these things since I've had to wear them since I was in fourth grade. But I just realized as she puts them back on that I wouldn't be able to see you, my friends, if I didn't have glasses. So I'm thankful today for these glasses. I want her circumstance didn't change, but her attitude did. It's practicing thank therapy. I had to practice it. Kathy and I had been in a place called Mount Hermon. It's a beautiful Christian conference center up in Northern California. And we spoke for a week and did family ministry. And then we went to Carmel, which is not too far from there. It's in one of the most beautiful beach towns in the world. And we were there for two days. We did stay at the cheapest motel in Carmel. And um, you know, I'm not saying we, we spent loads of money, but for us, it was long walks. It was a great meal. You know, it was just wonderful romance. So we get in the car, we're driving down Highway 1, which is a beautiful highway, going down to Southern California to greet our daughter who was in college there. And we're driving and it had been wonderful. And Kathy looks at me and she goes, hey, Jim, I think you're getting a double chin. I'm like, now none of you are now going to pay attention to my message. You're going to be looking to see if I have it. Yeah, he does have a double chin. So I look in the mirror, and of course, when you look in the mirror like that, I don't see a double chin. I was so mad at my wife. You know, timing is everything. Don't say everything you think. And, um, you know, this was not the timing. We just had this great romance, and she's saying, now saying I have a double chin. I'm thinking, I'm going to eat lettuce for the rest of my day. You know, this is ridiculous, you know, whatever. And so I do what any um, passive-aggressive husband does. I kind of got quiet. And so Kathy sort of ignored me, and she was loving this view, and she's going, oh my gosh, I think I see dolphins. Look at the rock formations. And I'm just going, yeah, and you think I have a double chin. I can't believe you can be happy about what like that. She goes, oh, I, you know, on and on. look at the boat out there. Finally, as I'm just kind of, you know, suffering, I'm punishing myself. I heard God speak to me in a quiet, still voice, not loud, not you know, vocal, but just kind of went, practice what you've been learning, practice thankfulness. Thank you, God, for Kathy even though she thinks I have a double chin. And thank you for the amazing time we've had. I kind of ungritted my teeth, if that's a word. And then I, I said, and thank you for, wow, the, the mother that she is to our three daughters. We have only girls. We have no hormones or drama in our life, of course. And, um, and thank you for the sacrifices that she's made for our ministry. Uh, thank you for this, and thank you for that. And all of a sudden, I watched my attitude change. I was totally unaware. I wasn't trying to do it. I mean, I got into, thank you for the blue sky and for these birds and for the white lines on the road. Some guys like coming across, you know, going. And all of a sudden, and I don't suggest that you do this if you're driving on a, you know, cliff on a curve, but I just put my arm around her and I gave her a kiss. 
And she goes, well, what was that for? And I said, well, I just love you, and I just wanted to say I'm thankful. And she goes, well, I thought you were mad at me because I told you I had a double chin. That, that's why you're quiet. I said, we'll talk about that later. But you see, my circumstance hadn't changed. I still needed to work on the chin, but my attitude could, and that makes the difference. It's a habit. It's practicing a habit. Habits aren't bad. You do something for three weeks and you have a habit. Three weeks. When's Thanksgiving? It's a little before three weeks, but the truth is, is you can practice thank therapy, and some of you should, some of you must, practice thank therapy for just a few weeks, and it might become more of a habit, and you'll see yourself move on that continuum from being a grumbler and a complainer to a little bit more thankful. I'm not saying that you can be, you know, all of a sudden, you know, positive Annie over here. I'm just simply saying you don't want to be negative Ned or negative Nancy all the time. And if you do, and if you are, then people are running from you. I'll say it to you because I'm leaving. I got a flight out of JFK. So I'll call you negative Nancy or negative Ned. But you're not, you're not filled with joy. So why stay in that? So it becomes important for us to understand that we have control over that by making it a habit. I was interviewing a woman named Johnny Erickson Tata. I don't know if any of you know her, but she's an incredible woman. She's confined to a wheelchair. Um, she was basically, as a teenager, she was in the Chesapeake Bay. She dove off a rock and she became paralyzed. And she's one of the most remarkable Christian leaders I've ever met. And I run into her a lot. I was doing a, a, a radio interview and I had Johnny and I was so excited and we'd prepared so hard for a new book of hers and we were gonna talk about her, you know, all that she does and whatnot. And I watch her come into our studio and her husband is taking her on the wheelchair and there's other people with her and she's just radiant. She's the one who's radiant, yet she's the one who's confined to a wheelchair and has been confined all of her adult life. She's about my age. And she's in pain. I know the kind of pain that she's in. So I put my notes aside and I look in her eyes and we start the program and I said, Johnny, how do you remain so radiant in the midst of your pain and in the midst of your situation. And she said something that I actually wrote down. And first of all, it was radio, and she had about a 15-second pause, so you don't want quiet on radio, and she just thought about it for a minute. And then she said, you know, Jim, there's a verse that says, in everything you do, give thanks, for this is God's will for you. And I went, whoa, I've heard that before. And she said, and so I've said that verse for so many years every day that it's become my reflex reaction. So my reflex reaction to my situation and my reflex reaction to my pain is thankfulness. She didn't say, I, I mean, she definitely would like her pain to go away. She definitely would like to be out of a wheelchair. I'm sure her husband would too. But what it became was her reflex reaction. She had made it a habit. And what I'm suggesting to you is that if you're a person who is burdened with a lot of stuff, and that you constantly kind of go over it in a negative way, that I'm suggesting that it become your reflex reaction. Will it take away your problem? Maybe not. But it can change your attitude. Now, there's also the ultimate reason why we all can be thankful. Despite our circumstances, despite how we were born, despite who we live with, despite what goes on in our life, young or old, and that's because Jesus Christ is the ultimate reason for our thankfulness. You know, Jesus Christ hung on a cross. And he bled, that meaning he shed his blood, he sacrificed his life, he broke his body, so that you and I might have life eternal and life abundant, and yet a lot of us are grumblers and complainers in the Father's house. I am at times. And yet when I really look at it, my response should be, wow, thank you, thank you. What a wonderful name it is. What a powerful name, what a beautiful name. And you did this for me when I don't deserve it. 
I love kids. I mean, I'm drawn to kids. I now speak to adults, mainly, sometimes kids. I used to speak to about a quarter of a million kids a year. And uh, I guess as I grew up, I started figuring out that I might be able to help more kids by helping parents. But that's what I do. And I'm always drawn to kids. And for some reason, I like middle school kids. I mean, that's, I know I'm warped. Um, some of you parents are going, you, you could like borrow my middle schooler until they get to high school. Um, but I like middle school kids. And, and my friend, his name is Bart, was um, an intern for me. And I said, how'd you become a Christian? And his dad's a real famous speaker, pastor type. And he said, well, it was at a camp when I was in middle school. Now, middle school kids can be the, the meanest kids in the world, and they can also be the nicest kids in the world. They can want to be a missionary and change the world. And 20 seconds later, you know, they're going to mock somebody. And at this camp, uh, Bart said that he and his dad were up at the sign-up table, and they watched a kid who, what he called a spastic boy, he said that he was paralyzed from the top of his right brain to the bottom of his left or right toe. And so the kid walked like this. His name was Billy. And he talked like this because, again, he was paralyzed. And all of a sudden, they look at Billy, and he's going from the volleyball courts to the pool. And there are five junior high boys who are following him, mocking him. This is the beginning of camp. And they're kind of mocking Billy, and like, they're mad. Bart and his dad. And so they find out that the Billy and the five boys are all in their cabin. And it was not a good Christian camp. It was supposed to be. But a lot of the kids focused on mocking Billy. He would put food in his mouth and it would kind of slip out because he was paralyzed. And then these kids would put food in their mouth and let it go down, just kind of mocking him. And they'd say, Billy, Billy. And these boys were ridiculous when Bart and his dad were not around. And they were kind of okay when Bart and his dad were there because they knew it was me. So finally, the leaders at the camp said, we need to do something different. It's not working. So how about Wednesday night, let's do a campfire and let's have each cabin represent uh, bring somebody up or the group up and they can sing or they can give a testimony or, you know, whatever. Maybe this will you know, stir things up. And so before Bart and his dad could get to the cabin, the five other boys had voted for Billy to speak and share. And furthermore, Billy said, I couldn't do that. And they just thought that was the funniest thing in the world that Billy would get up in front of everyone. So Bart and his dad tried to talk Billy out of it, but Billy said, I have something to say. Okay, Billy. So at dinner, you know, food in, kids kind of mocking, you know, same thing. And then they get in this campfire situation. There was a mic stand. And the first one was a girl, and she sang a song, and then a kid gave a testimony. And, you know, they go, you know, this could be working. This is good. But they were all waiting for cabin number eight. Billy was in the back over here. And so when they called cabin number eight, everybody knew, and they'd been waiting for Billy because they knew they could kind of laugh at Billy. And so Billy starts walking up like this, and everybody starts going, Billy, 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 you know, the kids kind of build. And, and actually the leaders all stood up and went, quiet. So, you know, now they've ruined the, the deal and Billy didn't, he was like, that didn't bother him. He just kind of kept coming up, he bumped the mic. And with his leg outstretched and his arm kind of out like this, he looked out at these kids who had kind of mocked him, not every kid, but many of them. And he said three sentences. He said, Jesus loves you. And Jesus loves me. And then he looked out and he said, and I love you too. I mean, this time they didn't mock. In fact, there were some tears with middle school kids. It's where Bart became a Christian. It's where other kids went into ministry and things like that. 
And it was because a spastic kid had enough courage to be thankful in the midst of his issues and said, Jesus loves me and Jesus loves you and I love you too. And so if God can use somebody like him, then God can use you and me and he can change our heart. He never promised that he would take away every one of our burdens. Where did we get that? What he did promise is that he would walk with us through those burdens and we can do it with a thankful heart.